This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker we have Jessica Lee, investor at Soma Capital. And this episode will mostly talk about reaching out to general partners and managing partners versus reaching out to associates, how to choose that right person of contact. Also, we'll talk about what your early stage founders do during these trying times. And of course, we'll talk about uh, Soma Capital's preference on, in terms of investments and Jessica's personal investment preferences. So, Jessica, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Soma Capital. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as you briefly mentioned, I'm an investor at Soma Capital. I'm actually the first full-time hire. So I joined Soma around nine months ago in late August of 2019 and do a little bit or a lot of everything depending on time of year. So obviously involved in new seed stage deal flow um, as well as follow-on opportunities in the portfolio, but also involved in supporting existing portfolio companies, managing relationships with co-investors, um, both seed and non-seed stage investors, as well as LP, limited partner communication. Um, general content, community events, um, obviously all virtual now, in person before, um, and things along those lines. So able to touch the full spectrum of activities that goes into running a VC fund. And SOMA itself is a seed stage fund based in San Francisco, where sector and geography agnostic. Um, we follow an approach of primarily indexing to Y Combinator. So the large majority of our portfolio comes from YC over the past Five years. Um, we were founded in 2015 and currently on our third fund. Some exciting portfolio companies in our portfolio include Ironclad, Cruise, Lambda School, Rappi, Fraser Pay, Flutterwave, and Astronis. That's, I've heard some names that I know, so that's really impressive. <laughs> and I was actually, my second question was, what's your role at Soma? But you've already answered that, so we'll move on to. Actually, you've answered two of my first questions. That's 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 tricky. My <laughs> second question was, what do you invest in? But you've already answered that. So let's move on to the topic that you've just touched on to, which is you being in charge of, you know, those uh, uh, events that Soma is hosting or participating on those events. Uh, right now, during this pandemic, everything is, of course, on, online. Uh, What's your recommendation to early stage founders? What sort of events should they attend? Where should they find those events? Yeah, definitely. That's a really great question. I think in general, there's some hotbeds, if you will, for events. So definitely follow the pages, whether it's Facebook. I like SVCs don't really use Facebook, but definitely LinkedIn, Twitter, um, the websites. A lot of VCs will have a place where you can input your email address on their website. <laughs> And stay updated on their newsletters or whatever form their sort of email updates end up taking. And so they'll usually broadcast their um, events and other happenings through that channel. Um, and of course, as mentioned, sometimes Facebook, definitely LinkedIn and Twitter, um, along with obviously investors um, at those various funds, um, usually both GPs, general partners, as well as associates slash analysts slash principals will share the bigger or more important or more impressive events um, that the fund is having. So definitely follow mm -hmm. 
um, funds um, to be able to know when they're doing events either by themselves or through a partnership with other investors or other entities. So that's one area um, or one general area. And then the second area is different Slack channels. So a lot of Slack channels are closed to just investors, but there's definitely some open Slack channels as well. Accelerated is obviously a really great one um, for different aspiring founders, operators, and investors, as well as current founders, operators, and investors. And so a lot of times in the event sub-channel, um, people who are having events, including investors or founders or operators in the channel, in the Slack group, um, will share more there. Um, and then I would also say um, just generally um, different big players in the space. So Silicon Valley Bank, obviously, I mean, they do actually have a venture arm, but they're obviously um, not traditionally a BC, but still of course, really involves the startup. So they have a regular stream of events as well. So I'd say kind of figuring out who are the key players in your industry, um, because obviously if you're an enterprise founder, you wouldn't really want to go and follow a consumer investor unless you were genuinely really interested for some reason, but basically find out who are the key investors, non-investor, individual people in your space and follow them. And then you can get general updates from broader Slack channels, as well as, of course, industry-specific Slack channels and other community groups like Openland or WhatsApp. Perfect, right. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend you using Openland. Actually, there is a lot of great information there. I'll leave a link to Openland uh, in the description of this episode. And by the way, Soma is uh, one of the investors in the Openland, right? Yes, exactly. Awesome. It's, it's great talking to you then. Yes, <laughs> Love sure. Openland personally a fan of it but let's move on to the current situation so right now it's pandemic we all know that and by the way the advice on following the funds pages is great i think that's really useful uh personally i recommend you following some newsletters from uh you know issues like uh crunch daily and stuff like that but let's move on to actually fundraising during this trying time so what's your recommendation to early stage founders who are trying to raise their first round right now during this uh, COVID-19? Yeah, definitely. So um, obviously there's the first step of deciding whether or not you need to raise. And I think what's interesting, so assuming that this would be a seed or even a pre-seed round, if it is your first round of fundraising, I think usually um, as a generalization, seed stage or pre-seed founders are pre-product market fit. Um, And so usually that's a very challenging spot to be in. But I think during a pandemic like this, it's actually a pretty fortunate situation because if you're pre-product market fit, you don't actually need that much capital um, because when you're pre-product market fit, you're still trying to figure out product market fit. And so you're still doing mostly internal work, improving your product, getting to know your users, iterating based on user understanding, new market findings, um, and the sort of back and forth seesaw effect to really balance out your product and market. And so it's obviously hard work, but it's not really capital intensive work. Um, you don't mm-hmm. need to to be in place. You don't need to hire a bajillion people, etc. And so um, it's actually a pretty fortunate time to be capital light. Um, and so I'd say for those founders and deciding whether or not to raise, if you can put together a 
family and friends round or some kind of angel round or even, you know, hard to say this, but obviously personal savings um, as well, if you're in a position to do so, um, then that could be a better way than um, fundraising in a in what is very much an investor's market. Um, the bargaining power right now is very much in the hands of investors in most situations, mm-hmm. especially for people who are not serial entrepreneurs or people who, you know, aren't at this crazy point of traction. And so... I'd say think long and hard about what your capital needs actually are and whether you're able to go through alternative sources of financing for that and not just equity. Um, So obviously family, friends, savings, et cetera, angels would fall into equity, but also consider different debt options um, if possible. Of course, there's a different risk return trade-offs in each of those different asset classes, but definitely try to understand your own situation with the business and different funding options you have. And don't just think that VCs are the only way out, but then Mm -hmm. if you are, um, you know, sure and did that exercise and positive that, VC funding is right for you um, in terms of getting in touch with investors. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend a few things. Um, so first, if you have relationships with any existing investors, it doesn't have to be, obviously this again is assuming this is your first fundraise. So of course it wouldn't by definition be from any prior fundraises or prior pitches, but if you're able to get in touch through an alumni, maybe one of your friends from college um, or even from high school is a VC now and be their brothers a VC or maybe their dad's mm-hmm. a VC or you know anything like that um, just look for people you have some sort of existing relationship with um, and so I would start there um, and then also I'd say a lot of times founders kind of make the mistake after an initial touch point of just checking in with the VC and just saying hey you know how are things just checking in it's obviously a kind message but and be better than nothing, but it's much, much, much more impactful to write a super thoughtful, it doesn't have to be long, because um, obviously everybody is busy and can't read extended email drafts or email messages or, or write them for that matter. But um, I'd say it's really important mm-hmm. to put a lot of thought into your updates and not just say, you know, hey, like, how are things or just bumping this or whatever, but actually discuss how COVID has been impacting your business over the past and weeks or months, you know, whenever it was that you last touched base with said investor. And so I think it's really important to address the elephant in the room and then also not just give a lay of the land, but share more on um, your particular thoughts around growth strategies moving forward and how you're able to really survive or even thrive during this environment. Um, And then also, I think investors, because, you know, even if you do get an intro to them, um, they're probably not going to be able to meet you um, during this time or before your fundraise closes, before you ideally would like them to invest. And so I would say um, definitely try to get references because investors are looking much more. I mean, references are always helpful, both in and outside of COVID. But I think especially when the investors can't meet you, they really get comfortable when somebody actually says that they can speak to your character and your ability. And so instead of just finding some kind of, you know, random mutual LinkedIn connection who you don't even really know, ask for people who worked with you, who've been your manager, who can vouch for your work ethic, your leadership, um, you know, your technical intelligence, your productability, um, things like that. And then, and then, um, I would definitely recommend that. Um, and then I would also say what's interesting is a lot of times, um, a lot of times people try to go through 
like other investors, um, but investors don't always take intros from other investors. Um, but actually, they always take intros, or maybe not always, but they are more likely um, to take intros from their own founders. Um, so mm-hmm. when our founders um, reach out to to me or to my boss or someone else on my team, um, we're always pretty inclined to um, take those intros. And so um, go through other founders that you know um, who can open up their cap table to you. Um, so I think that's pretty pretty great as well. And then I'd say also when you're asking for a warm introduction, whether it's through a founder or through somebody else, um, make it as easy as possible for them to make that warm intro. So instead of just saying, hey, can you intro me to Jessica Lee? But, you know, say that, obviously, but also say, here's a message you can directly copy and paste um, to share more about me, about my business with Jessica Lee and why I would love to get in touch with her. And mm-hmm. Making it super easy is is really helpful. And then the last thing, too, is a lot of times people don't want to talk to associates or analysts or even principals because they don't have technically don't have check writing ability, which is true. But I think it's much better to um, go through an analyst associate principal and really get them on your side um, than um, actually, you know, just going directly to a partner and having them reject you, especially because partners don't usually take inbounds. They're more so reliant on their analyst associates, which is the reason why they hired them in the first place. And so um, I think that that's pretty important to not discount or discredit um, junior people at the firm. Obviously, ideally, you would get to the partner meeting, but obviously, there's different steps before then and the associates analysts can be really great internal advocates for you along that full process. Sure. And that's a great advice. And by the way, just a note to people who are listening to this, associates and analysts usually, I mean, pretty frequently raise up in the in the VC chain. So, you know, a couple of years later, if you make this connection a couple of years later, maybe that's ex-analyst can be a check writer now. So yeah, exactly. don't don't underestimate people, right? So um, here we're moving on to your personal experience in terms of investing. So I imagine that Soma Capital gets plenty of uh, inbound and uh, asking to review their pitch deck. Can you name three major points that you think people should have on their pitch deck? Three must-have points. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say um, the first would be to get to the point on exactly what it is you're doing. I think so many times people either have that side super late on in their deck or maybe just like don't have it super explicitly at all and spend so much effort and slide and space and talking time, energy, et cetera, explaining and setting the setting. I think it's super important to obviously do that at some point, but get to the heart of what it is you're doing so that VCs, I think sometimes VCs will get stuck and argue with you on whether or not they agree with your thoughts around where the world is going, et cetera. Um, And then by the time you actually get to your slide on what you're doing, they're already checked out or zoned out or written you off. So it's really important to get to the point um, and really articulate what it is you're doing. Um, And then especially articulate in a really clear way. I think sometimes people have a tendency to use analogies, um, which is helpful Mm -hmm. to to help people understand things. But sometimes an analogy might only make sense to you because you're looking at it from one particular frame of reference. And obviously you're the founder, so you spent so much time with what you're building and you understand it deeply and you understand your own vision. But VCs are usually too proud to admit if they have questions, uh, maybe not if they have legitimate um, like really great questions but definitely if they have questions around fundamentally what you're doing and so 
make sure you um, err on the side of, of being overly simplistic and like pretend almost like you're talking to, you know, a five-year-old or a kindergartner or whatever and just break it down for them really simply. And then you can share analogies to help them frame what it is they're looking at. But analogies are only helpful if somebody actually understands underlying um, concept and, and fundamentally right. businesses. I think that's point one. Um, the second point is to really emphasize your team. I think so many times you'll put team at the very end of the deck, but I think especially in the seed stage, um, investors are making team bets because they understand the product and the market can change over time. As you were just saying, finding product market fit is something that happens during the seed stage. So that's, you know, actually after a founder has already raised their seed round. Um, and so a lot of times seed investors, pre-seed investors certainly um, will invest before there even is a product or before the product is launched or before you have significant traction or before you've monetized. And so what they're really betting on is your team. So I would go into some detail, obviously don't make it too wordy on the deck itself, but highlight and be prepared to highlight some different ways in which your team has worked together or just really figured out that you're super complimentary, but long-term aligned. Um, and then also how you were able to convince, I think people love seeing that you as a founder were able to convince someone um, of the validity and the potential of your product so much that they wanted to join you as a co-founder or as a founding team member or just kind of other early full-time person with lots of skin in the game. And so I think that's mm -hmm. important um, to highlight. And then I'd say third, um, I would really highlight the why now, the answer to the why now question. So many times, um, you know, there's a saying, I'm, I'm sort of butchering it, I, I guess, but it's basically that, you know, being, uh, having the wrong timing is just like being wrong. Um, so if you built Uber before people had cell phones, you know, great for you, but that would not have taken off. And I'm sure many people have tried and there's specific examples around how that's happened. So I think really dive into conceptually and specifically, what is the technological, cultural, political, societal inflection point um, that you're really building on and why, um, you know, not just that you have a great product, because I'm sure you spent most of your deck talking about that, but why you've got the timing just right so that you have this perfect um, storm, if you will, to really build um, this company. <laughs> I like that analogy, perfect storm. And mm -hmm. as we talked about things that you should have on the pitch deck, I want to talk about three common mistakes that you see during the presentation. So when the founder is actually in front of you talking to you, what are the common mistakes that you see that, you know, you're like, oh, that's, we're not going to invest in that person. And that might include, you know, the way he or she entered the room or the way they sit. Uh, whatever comes into your mind, what are the, those three common mistakes that you see? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a couple different things. So three, three things. The first um, is when there are co-founders and hopefully there are co-founders and um, for the reasons mentioned, it's helpful to have multiple people on the team, not too many, obviously, but at least two um, or around two. And so I think sometimes when it's just one co-founder answering every single question or giving the whole pitch and really hawking up the time, I think that's kind of an orange or sometimes even red flags. I want to see, obviously, you know, maybe you'll have a CTO and he's more technical and less, um, you know, business oriented. So he's not super salesy or social, et cetera, which is fine. But I think it's really important to not really have equal speaking time. We don't have to time it or anything but at least just showcase the talents of different people, not just through a slide, but through their mm -hmm. actual presentation, obviously, given they're able to actually attend the meeting or be on the Zoom calls. So I think that's number one. Um, I think number two um, as well is 
basically, I think what we look for is really strong salesmanship. Sometimes people, you have two founders or one founder is pitching and they're super technical. So they build a really incredible product or they could or they are, um, but then they don't really have the sales skills to break down incredibly complex concepts in a way that, um, you know, VCs who are hopefully smart, but not super technical can understand. And I think sometimes people are like, oh, but why does that matter? You know, VCs aren't the customers, but ultimately in most cases, you'll be selling to customers who don't understand the product as well, whether it's because they, you know, are HR teams or their business side teams in general, um, or maybe you're creating a whole new category that's actually super big, but you need to do customer education first. Um, so I think that's super, um, super important to, to show through your skills. And of course, there's different ways to do it. There's different ways to practice and get feedback from people. Um, and I'm sure there's different books and other resources out there. So definitely hone your salesmanship and don't just rely on the technical um, impressiveness of your product or of your own genius and, and mind. So I think that's number two. Um, and I think number three as well is just people who don't don't show a deep empathy for the market they're creating for. I think sometimes we'll see founders who are super smart in a market that's really big, but then we obviously being a founder is incredibly difficult. So if you don't have some kind of personal connection to the problem, you're more likely to give up. Not that you definitely will, because some people are just resilient no matter what the context. But I think it's just really impactful to see someone who, you know, you're like, oh, you're creating something for Parkinson's and your grandmother had Parkinson's. Like, it seems like you have a real, you know, reason to pursue this beyond just, you know, monetary fame or glory. Um, and so I think having that founder market fit is really important. But even beyond that, I think um, just in terms of like you're getting your initial customers, knowing where your customers are hanging out or potential customers are hanging out, I think it's really important to get into the minds of the customers. And so I think showing that you've done tons of user research um, or that you are a would-be research user yourself, I think that's super, super important. Right. And that's, that's great advice. Uh, uh, I don't really have anything to add onto this, so <laughs> let's move on to the next topic. And we have a couple of questions left, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, first question is: Do you or have you ever done any angel investor investing yourself before you joined Soma Capital, or while you're working for Soma Capital? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've mostly invested in public markets on my own. I haven't yet um, been an angel myself. Um, I'm not an accredited investor, so that kind of creates certain hurdles, legal hurdles um, to that, and obviously don't want to impose on founders. But um, I think there are definitely a lot of really great. So first of all, I think as you're able to, so hopefully your you know, wealth and, and net income and all of that increases and you're able to actually become an accredited investor, I think at that point in time when you're legally able to invest more easily um, as an angel, it's really important to do so um, because a lot of times if you want to stay in venture, VCs will say like, okay, cool, you obviously have had a job in venture, that's great, but where people want to see you put your own money, not just, you know, your mm -hmm. LP's money where your mouth is. And so they want to make sure that you've actually done, um, you know, deep homework where you actually have skin in the game. And so it's really important to show that. So that's kind of one point of just why it's important um, in terms of how to get involved. So I think I've seen a lot of times investors who are focused maybe on the Series A at their funds. Obviously, angels don't really invest the Series A with, the, with some exceptions, but usually they're very 
early on, as people probably know, um, but sometimes Series A investors will start to build relationships with seed stage investors um, and sort of better understand what they're seeing so that they can put in a small angel check into those seed rounds. And so building relationships with early stage investors, if you aren't one yourself already, is really helpful. And then second, there's mm -hmm. like VC groups out there. So emerging venture capitalist association is a really big one of 300 pre-GP people um, from around the, or 600 pre-GP people from around the country. And so they have this thing called the Cow Hollow Syndicate, um, which alludes to this area of SF, for those of you who don't know. Um, but basically it's the syndicate where a lot of different investors um, who are sort of in, the, in similar boats in that they're not, um, you know, GPs, they're all pre-GPs, um, but they bring different perspectives naturally as we all do from their different deal experiences or different fund focuses, um, et cetera. And so they're able to help each other diligence a particular investment and they're able to work together on this angel and syndic angel list syndicate um, and then be able to to invest together. And then the last one is just like sometimes there's ad hoc um, SPVs that are put together. I know some of my friends have done so, um, especially people who have um, you know, some deeper technical experience working in tech companies. You can understand the product better and bring a unique angle to actually help these founders. Um, so I think that's a pretty helpful um, avenue as well. But I think in general, if you're not able to angel invest, just like getting to know angels, building relationships, maybe having like a um, equivalent of a paper portfolio. Sometimes people who can't actually trade stocks or want to get involved in the stock market will have a paper portfolio. And so um, they will do um, some, you know, fake trading, if you will, around that. And so I think... <laughs> doing something like that so that you can sort of track your actual investment performance over time is really helpful because sometimes you'll work on a deal at a fund but then maybe you personally didn't really want to do it but your boss just did and so obviously you were kind of putting mm -hmm. an angel is really where you're able to calibrate and understand how you are as an actual investor and that's super important to track as an investor especially because the average um, feedback cycle for seed stage investors is seven to ten years so by the time you know seven to ten years from now you probably have forgotten and everything that's happened in the year 2020, um, at least at the, at the nitty gritty level of what investments you worked on. And so I think it's really important to be able to and have an incentive to actually track your own performance um, and be able to improve like that over time. Right. right. And by the way, advice to those who are not accredited investors but still want to invest in uh, uh, early stage companies, there are multiple equity crowdfunding uh, platforms. For example, next week I actually have an interview with the CEO of Republic so we'll talk a lot about regulation CF uh, and how unaccredited investors can actually participate on early stage fan, uh, rounds so yeah. last question and then we'll wrap it up uh, call to action what's your what's that one thing that you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over one specific thing yeah, so actually, given the demographic um, of people listening, I would like to call out the fellowship program we launched um, just around a week ago last Wednesday. Um, you can go visit it at fellowship.somacap.com. Um, if you follow me on Medium um, or you know want to, I've written an article recently called Startup Shadowing at Soma, which basically shares a little bit more about the program. Um, you can really find it anywhere. I've tweeted about it and, and LinkedIn shared about it. But basically, it's a way for aspiring 
founders to be matched with early stage companies in our portfolio for internships. And then after the internship, they apply their skills that they learned um, from working with our early stage founders. And again, there's roles in engineering, product design, as well as business. So super diverse, both technical and non-technical um, and businesses across different industries, consumer, enterprise, biotech, real estate, et cetera. Um, so after that internship, um, you apply and throughout the internship, there's complementary programming like fireside chats, panels, group mixers, obviously all virtual. Um, and so after all the things you've learned through the combination of those different events and um, your internship, you'll incubate your own company again, remotely given COVID. Um, and then we will continue to provide resources, office hours, exclusive content, uh, mentorship network access throughout the incubation period. At the end of that, you'll pitch to Sama Capital for investment. Um, and regardless of if you get investment um, capital or not, you'll become scouts or fellows, however you want to call it for Soma on your respective college campuses or if you're out of college or have graduated by that time then your different communities to continue to pay it forward and support um, other founders in the ecosystem and let us know what top talent um, both for joining startups as well as founding startups you're seeing that's awesome and let me make sure that i understood correctly uh so how it works that i so for example let me take myself as an example I already have a job at Adventure City, so I'm not doing that, but we will look at me as an example. So, for example, I, I repeat yeah. the word example way too many times. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but let's say I'm applying to that program, right? Then um, also let's say I'm interested in real estate. I will be matched. Uh, I will be assigned as an intern to a startup that works in real estate, right? Yes, exactly. Then I work for that startup for couple months, right? Yes. And then I start my own company as an incubator uh, in the yeah. incubator of Soma Capital, basically, right? Exactly. So I, and then after I pitch, no matter if I get the money or not, I become like a, a friend of Soma Capital. So once I meet someone on campus of USC or UCLA, I'm like, hey, I like your idea. I will introduce you to Soma Capital. And that's, that's how it works, right? Exactly. Nice. I'm smart. I understood that. <laughs> we'll wrap it up yeah. here. That sounds like a really yeah. cool program, actually. I love it. And I'll talk to you about that later. But for now, we'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Jessica, for taking your time to participate on Fundraising Radio and for sharing all your experience. I think that was a wonderful episode. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun.